It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Welcome to Farm Talk with John O'Connor. Later in the program, reaction to the fodder incentive scheme. Minister McConnell commends the work of the TB Stakeholder Forum. Minister Hayden announces availability of over €2.5 million Euro funding for soil and agri-ICT research initiatives. Deferral of deadline on vet medicines will allow for meaningful engagement, the IFA claim. Next, water quality. Joining us on the Dairy Gold Farm Talk programme, we have Mr Oshin Coakley, Chagask Agri-Catchments Programme Advisor, based at Darara Clonakilty Agricultural College in the west of the county. First of all, Oshin, welcome to the programme. Now, in this modern age, we are particularly concerned about the impact of agriculture, food production, on water quality. Now, the ACP programme, that's the programme you're involved in, the Agri-Catchments yep. Programme, you're an advisor. What actually is this ACP programme? Yeah, yeah well, John... Um yeah, of course we are very. Um, I suppose look, the agricultural catchments program, or is it as it's known, the ACP program? I so it's it's there um, to evaluate the nitrates regulations and uh, and its derogation. Um, here locally in, in Cork, I suppose the the, the Timley catchment was chosen as the area to study the impact of intensive dairy farming on water quality. Um, the ACP program uh, is crucial to the validation of the nitrates derogation. Okay, under the nitrate action plan, um, I suppose. Look again. I, I mentioned the brilliant support we get from the farmers in the area. Um, you know, is crucial for our program. I, we have been operating there since two thousand and eight, so that's it's fourteen years. Any idea of the numbers of farmers in your particular area of yeah. the West Cork? Yeah. So here in the Timley catchment, we've over forty farmers. Um, I think there were forty-three farmers working in collaboration with us and nationally there's actually six catchments so that, and there's over 300 farmers nationally on a, on a voluntary basis working with us to underpin the nitrates regulation. As regards the nitrates derogation, confirm what exactly the nitrates derogation is. The nitrates derogation is, is an allowance, um, I suppose, to deviate from the regulation of 170 kgs of nitrates per hectare. Um, in other words, it, it's, an, it's an allowance under specific circumstances to exceed the 170, um, you know, limit that I mentioned. Uh, it, like I said, it allows under very specific environmental standards such as adequate nutrient storage facilities, um, a soil nutrient management plan, for example, soil sampling, 
of all of all fields um along with a nutrient like along with a you know a, a well prepared nutrient management plan um that the farmer can stock their farm to almost 50% greater um, than that 170, right? So the, the current limit is 250 uh, kgs of nitrogen excreted per hectare under nitrous derogation. I suppose this, why is that? I suppose this allows for more production of milk solids per hectare or meat or, you know, whatever the farmer may be producing. It allows them to, um, you know, if they're adhering to very high environmental standards to to stock their farm to a slightly higher degree is farming at a stocking rate of the 250 kgs of nitrogen per hectare viable into the future yeah i suppose look john i suppose this is crucial like the the question that you've asked there i suppose the 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 simple the short answer is yes there is scope scope to farm intensively and to maintain good water status uh, within a catchment and like we, we've seen that within the agricultural catchments program with our high resolution data over the last 14 years and if that if high standards of nutrient management practice are implemented okay that is very much achievable but i suppose it it all factors such as soil type weather and farming activity you know must be taken into consideration in other words that you know there's no magic bullet um you know, it's um, there's a whole lot of factors involved. Like that's why there's such a complex program monitoring the impacts and effects of of you know all the different farming practices down here in Tim League. We're measuring intensive dairying on water quality, so there, there's a whole lot of variables. Um, but yes, the short answer is yes, there is scope to to farm up to the 250 without having a negative impact on water quality. Could you give us some idea of the rate at which the water quality is monitored? Down in Tim League, that's a 750 hectare catchment, okay, so something in the region of 1,800 acres, right, of predominantly grassland, and, you know, maybe something in the region of 7 or 8% of that is arable. Um, but at the outlet point, when I say outlet point, so that's where all of the water that exits that um, area of land um at the stream you know we have a monitoring station there where there's actually every 10 minutes um do every 10 minutes the water is is given a you know a, a monetary value you know of nitrogen phosphorus sediment content um temperature you know temperature of the water it helps us to you know to i suppose to identify where it's coming from really um conductivity, turbidity of the water, which is basically a measure of the clarity of it, so that indicates the sediment that may be present in the water. Um, so that's at the outlet point, I suppose. Also, something that's very, very important is like we're we're getting a measure of the health of the riverbed, um, which basically means the invertebrate status of the riverbed, right? That's measured using what people might know as a kick sample. Um the kick sample analysis has been performed down here in Tim League and in the other five catchments um, twice yearly um, alongside a research group you know from from UCC who help for who help us to analyze that because there's a very specific um, body of expertise needed 
in relation to that and it's quite laborious the actual um you know literally counting identifying of each uh, you know each invertebrate that's found in those kick samples um I so I saw like that kick sample analysis like that that is that is actually one of the major um major factors in how the EPA allocate a water you know allocate a score um you know for the water status of of any water body you know from one being very poor to five being uh, excellent thank you very much indeed Oisin Mr Oisin Coakley Agri Catchments Programme Advisor with Chagask Advisory, Clonakilty Agricultural College, Darara, Clonakilty in the west of the county. Next, some updates. The IFA Animal Health Chair, TJ Marr, said that June 1st is fast approaching and there is still no solution to maintain the competitive supply of veterinary medicines for farmers. IFA President Tim Cullen said it was important that the Minister for Agriculture had come forward with a fodder scheme to support farmers, but more will be needed to cover the massive increase in costs of production. Minister of State and the Department of Agriculture, Food and the Marine, with special responsibility for research and innovation, Martin Hayden TD, has announced over €2.5 million in research funding for Irish participation in two important European research initiatives on soil and agri-ICT research. €1.5 million will be provided for a new EJP European Joint Programme on Agricultural Soils Research Funding Call, while over €1 million Euro in funding will also be made available for a European Research Area Network, ERANET. On 4th of May, the Minister for Agriculture, Food and the Marine, Charlie McConnell-Luke, took part in the 13th meeting of the TB Stakeholder Forum, where progress on the implementation of the TB strategy was presented. The TB Stakeholder Forum brings together key stakeholders with common objectives of reducing bovine TB levels. The Minister thanked the members of the Forum for their commitment and acknowledged the progress being made in implementing the TB strategy of eradication by the year 2030. Next, the Mockler Report. Hi John, it's Marie Tier, Balancholic PRO and Shandoon PRO. Congratulations to Enfield Makra, who recently won the National Drama Finals in Clonakilty. They performed Lone Star. Well done to Whitechurch Makra, who were runners up on the night for their performance of appropriate audience behaviour. Makrina Firma's AGM will take place on Saturday the 14th of May in the Clayton Hotel in Sligo. The impromptu debating finals will also take place that evening in the hotel. Congratulations to Kildalton College, who were the overall winners at this year's Makrina Challenges Day. Teams of 12 students from Chagisk and private agricultural colleges around Ireland competed in sport, presentations and skills learned during the college year, such as stock judging, welding, tractor driving and teamwork challenges. So well done to all who took part there. And you can check out Mockred's Instagram page for pictures from the day. You can keep an eye on our club's social media pages to see what we're up to. And new members are always welcome. Thank you. Thank you, Mairead, for the MACRA update. Mairead Tuig. The Minister for Agriculture, Food and the Marine, Charlie McConlogue TD, has welcomed the recent discussion by the CAP Stakeholder Consultative Committee of the Observations Letter in respect of Ireland's draft CAP Strategic Plan 
for the years 2023 to 2027 inclusive. Commenting after the meeting, which had been chaired by the department, Minister McCulloch said the exchange of views on the Commission's observations on Ireland's draft plan had been very useful and had been an informative exercise which would help inform his department regarding ongoing engagement with the EU Commission as we move through the approval process. He revealed that the meeting had been the 30th occasion on which the committee had discussed either the reform process or the development of the CAP plan itself, which he said was symbolic of the very extensive stakeholder consultation which had been taking place over the past two and a half years or so. It was important that we progress in a timely manner in order to ensure that we are ready to commence the implementation of the plan on 1st of January 2023. Mr. Pat McCormack, President of the ICMSA, has described the government's decision to exclude dairy farmers from the fodder scheme as being both revealing and disgraceful, allegedly. Pat McCormack said the decision was revealing in that it demonstrates conclusively, he felt, the animosity towards the dairy sector being held by certain elements in the government, and which he said must now be assumed to be official policy towards what he described again as the most technical and commercially successful agri-food sector in the state. Mr McCormack contended that what he saw as the ridiculous element of the decision would see billionaire individuals with a hobby interest in farming receiving €1,000 of state funding to help with their fodder bills, while full-time farmers milking cows with proportionate input costs, were given nothing. Mr Pat McCormack, President of the ICMSA, the Irish Creamery Milk Supplier Association. All those dairy farmers across the country are excluded, and that's extremely disappointing, given that they have the greatest fertiliser usage, would have felt the greatest impact of increased fertiliser. It's an extremely small uh, payment per farm. He's let down 17,000 dairy farmers full-time, the vast majority of them full-time farmers. Uh, you could be a man milking 30 cows living beside somebody with a significant off-farm job, maybe 100,000, 200,000 euros of an off-farm job, and they'll qualify and you won't. That's extremely frustrating. The Minister would say that the criteria are just and he wouldn't um, agree that he's been unfair or biased against the dairy sector. But it would appear, from what you're saying, Pat, there are efforts to curtail the dairy sector. Look, it's not the first time we've seen in the beam scheme in the past uh, as a result of Brexit and the pressure on beef that the dairy farmers On this occasion, the dairy farmer finds themselves excluded again. And, you know, they can be dependent, fully dependent for their household income on farm. And, and you'd find people with one, two, maybe three off-farm incomes uh, coming into their farm and structure uh, qualifying. And that's extremely disappointing. Um, you know, as we move forward, we see the Dairy Vision Group again trying its very best to put the shackles on the dairy industry. And, uh, you know, it is the driving force behind the rural economies. And that's become very evident since the abolition accords in 2015. And, you know, I, I would have had discussions with the minister before this announcement. And I said to him, if he was to implement it and exclude the dairy farmer, um, he himself and the government party, the government party, were leaving down the dairy farm families of Ireland and unfortunately that's exactly what they did. If you put those arguments strongly enough to the Minister, Minister McConlogue and to the government, do you think that the scheme could be widened and should be widened to include all livestock and of course the dairy sector too? 
without a doubt, uh, we believe if you analyse where fertiliser usage has gone uh, and been used on farms, half of it has been used on dairy farms, on those 17,000 farms. So, you know, if you're to in some way compensate farmers for the investment made as a result of inflation over the last six months, and in particular over the last three months, um, the dairy farmer would have to be right up there. But unfortunately, the Minister and his rural TDs that are supporting him in government to, and to keep him in government uh, have forgotten the people that voted, voted him in. You've shown in your press statements that the trend is towards encouraging people with smaller dairy herds. You point out, for example, that a person milking 50 dairy cows will be excluded from support while a farmer with perhaps only 10 cattle and an off-farm income of €500,000 would qualify. And again, you point to people who are locked into fixed-price milk contracts. Yes, indeed. Uh, and, you know, I alluded to that point already about the, the farmers who would have an off-farm income. But you quite rightly mentioned the fixed-price contracts, and they're a huge issue out there for dairy farmers who find themselves stuck at 30, 31, 32 cents a litre, uh, you know, and costs absolutely escalating... Uh, and the cost of the early production being 12, 14 cents beyond that. What is your next step? Are you going to continue to lobby strongly? And uh, while, you, of course, naturally, you would support money being paid out to uh, pig farmers, do you feel that if you show that you support the pig sector getting money, sheep getting money, that the minister will look at things fairly and squarely and review the situation based on all of this detailed information you point out in your argument to have all livestock and all dairy farmers included, not just the farmers with 10 cows or less. Uh, without a doubt, um, and I suppose it's an argument or a debate or a discussion or a lobby that we would have had with the Minister prior to his announcement, uh, where he could be given a thousand euros to a guy that's buying two tonne of fertiliser. That's, that's very good. But equally, you know, if you're given the thousand euros to a dairy farmer who's buying twenty or forty thousand tonne of fertilizer, and disproportionately they'd be getting a significantly less of a subsidy. But nonetheless, they would be included, and to be an acknowledgement of the escalation of costs uh, for the pr primary producers right across the board, and that's something that hasn't been done in this scheme. Do you think this is being driven? This decision might very well be driven by the green agenda or perhaps um, to speak in neutral terms this could be driven by the climate action by action taken to prevent the onset of even more global warming and we have the argument all the time that the cows they're producing the emissions that are going to lead to climate warming planet warming etc but do you feel that regardless of any arguments that livestock people or dairy people might give regarding methane emissions by herds that still there is a relentless drive one way or the other to limit and substantially cut back on livestock in Ireland Well look, the Dairy Vision Group is a hugely frustrating case to be um, with significant proposals for various different forms of reduction and you know you can have a direct or an indirect uh, proposal that will cause reductions and uh, a lot of them are seen are, are, are I suppose indirect uh, cuts to production uh, and knock-on effect whether that's the, the bending as regards nitrates or indeed the usage of fertilizer and um, I suppose what I would say to, to the minister and the government and I'd repeat it 
is that, you know, since the abolition of quotas or even since 2012, the years in the run-up to the abolition of quotas, the dairy industry has reformed rural economies around the, around the country. And, uh, you know, they've been a huge stimulant out there in rural Ireland. And to put curtailments, restrictions and to omit them from any scheme is extremely disappointing and usually frustrating at this point in time. Now more than ever, we must be aware that we should look after and foster those industries which enable us to feed ourselves and then well and good if we've enough over to export. But certainly sustainability, feeding ourselves, that must be a very important issue in the current uh, very unstable global situation. Food security is the new is the new word and the new term. You know, it was never undermined as much as it is at this point in time. Obviously, you know, fuel and the availability of fuel and, and energy in the form of gas uh, has a huge impact on the availability, knock-on effect as regards the availability of food security. And uh, certainly we're in very fragile times and, you know, nobody was, is wishing for a famine. But, um, you know, we, we need to be in a position to prevent it as well. And, uh, you know, government actions need to, need to reflect that. Are there any other issues, any other pressing issues which the Irish Creamery Milk Supplier Association is um, chasing up in June? We're going to have the impact of animal remedies. The animal remedies, without a doubt, we would hope that, you know, common sense will prevail there and that that will be put off from the, the start of 2023 um, because, you know, we're, we're mid-season, mid-flow here and there's a lot of un- unknowns out there and the ordinary farmer uh, wouldn't be aware of the restrictiveness uh, of the various forms of medica- animal medication that are out there. Uh, equally, I suppose, John, you know, a huge issue for us as co-op boards sit down in the coming weeks to set their mill price is to is to see a significant increase in the base mill price because, unfortunately, it's lagging the PPI index and it's lagging various other um, Dutch quotations, etc., and we need to see that gap closed to keep the Irish dairy farmer competitive. Producing liquid milk, for example. Pretty an awful lot of investment and effort into something which you're not getting a fair price for. Slightly better position, maybe, and maybe not, than the fixed price contracts. And, you know, we will be doing around the club visits now. And I know from our last National Council meeting, those with liquid milk contracts will be extremely frustrated as well. And, uh, you know, it's something that has to be looked upon. I know some of the various liquid milk producers have gone to the retail looking for a price increase, but it needs to be substantial, uh, probably an, an unprecedented increase uh, to remain viable for the, for the far- farmer who's producing liquid milk. You now see the dairy sector is Ireland's most economically successful agri-food sector, and that is now being threatened, you feel? It is. You know, political decisions that are being made uh, are leaving us behind uh, weakening our ability to deliver a sustainable product as, at a reasonable level of productivity. And, uh, you know, that will, in the long term, if we're to continue that trend, it will have a huge impact on our overall exports and ultimately on our economic performance as, as a nation. Thank you very much indeed, Pat. This is Pat McCormack, National President of the ICMSA Irish Creamery Milk Supplier Association. Thank you very much indeed, Pat. Thanks a million. 
Joining us on the Dairy Gold Farm Talk programme, Mr. Michael Moroni, CEO, Chief Executive Officer of FCI, the Association of Farm and Forestry Contractors in Ireland. First of all, Michael, welcome to the programme. Now, how would the silage baking, the fodder grant, affect your members? Because forestry is your sector primarily. So what's the silage baking connection with uh, forestry growers? If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural-looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural-looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth, sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus... Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. In the first place, John, uh, just to put it into perspective, the association is farm and forestry contractors. So at this stage, we are developing the membership. So it's dominantly farm contractors that are members of FCI at the present. Uh, the forestry group is a smaller group in total within the country and it's a smaller group within FCI. So in relation to the question about why is it important, the silage grant, uh, it's particularly important because across Ireland, about 95% of silage on farms, whether it's dairy farms or dry stock farms, 95% of that silage is harvested by contractors, many of whom are members of FCI. So that's really important because we've come to a year this year with all of the crisis dominated by the war in Ukraine and the impact on fuel prices, that many of the costs that our silage contractors are facing have increased dramatically since November 2021. So the grant helps farmers in order that they have cash flow and funding to meet the additional contractor costs because the cost increases have been very significant, John. So has this grant, the announcement of this grant, has it come as a pleasant surprise because people had thought it was getting too late for the Minister for the Department to announce this type of grant? 
so I suppose you would feel it's perhaps a bordering on a bit too late, but uh, you might say just in the nick of time. It'll be welcome anyway, I believe. Well, to put it into perspective, uh, the national silage harvest in Ireland is the biggest mechanisation movement annually within the country. In other words, there's many millions of tonnes of grass silage are harvested by contractor on thousands of farms, almost every farm in the country. And that process involves the consumption of 200 million litres of agri-diesel nationally. And the, the price increase of the agri-diesel since November last is somewhere in the region of 30 or 40 cent per litre increase and up to 50 cent in cases. And it, it's interesting that we've asked the minister to ring-fence 200 million litres in order to ensure that the grass silage harvest would be preserved. But the 55 million euro that they've allocated to the sector exactly mirrors the increasing cost that our contractors have faced. And many of those costs would have to be passed on to farming customers across the country. So it's interesting that the total value of the grant mirrors the increased cost to contractors. And we're satisfied that farmers understand that and those who will be, avail- be able to avail of the grant will use some of that funding in order to allow them to pay those additional costs that their contractors are forced to charge on them this year due to not just fuel costs, because if we're aware of the cost of equipment, the cost of replacement parts, and again, areas such as many of our contractors are using a product called AdBlue to lower their emissions, the cost of that has doubled in the last 12 months, and not to mention the cost of prior tires for agricultural tractors. Now, for contractors listening, for farmers listening, uh, for particularly contractors, um, farming contractors and forestry contractors, how will this grant, this silage-making fodder grant, be administered? Well, John, we're not too clear as to how it will be administered. It was discussed by Cabinet Tuesday night, and the, the fine print or the finer details haven't been distributed. We're not aware of what the details are. It is late in the day. Uh, but it does certainly provide the necessary funding to allow farmers to pay the increased costs uh, and the increased charges that their contractors will be forced to charge this year because of the huge escalation in costs. I mean, we take it, for example, last November, our typical farm contractor, our forestry contractor indeed, they would have been paying somewhere in the region of 75 cents per litre for diesel. We've done our weekly survey this week and our average cost is up on 130 cent per litre. So they are very significant increases, and contractors have no option but to pass those on to their farming clients. The Association of Farm and Forestry Contractors is a limited by guarantee company, and it was established in 2012 when a number of contractors decided they felt they needed proper representation across the country, a representation with government, with Chagas, with other bodies, machinery industry, and and finance houses. So that was the the reason behind it. The association is made up of contractors who are involved in agriculture and in forestry, um, and they're throughout the whole country. And the association is the sole member of CETAR, which is the European Organisation of Agricultural, Rural and Forestry Contractors, which has a full-time office based in Brussels. Now, we are arranged around a number of regions throughout the country, and there are regional chairs and regional secretaries and then they provide the membership of our national executive. 
Now, Michael, of course, as Chief Executive Officer, CEO of FCI, you would understand exactly what the issues are in farming. Now, while you welcome the government's move, very enthusiastically, a bit late, but you welcome the government's move to bring in the silage making fodder grant. But forestry licenses, uh, in previous months, we had a lot of uh, controversy there. Forestry people felt that the whole system of forestry licenses, as they felling licenses, there was huge room for improvement. Has that situation improved in any substantial way to your members' satisfaction? It hasn't improved to the satisfaction of our members. Uh, and, that, and that's clear by what's called the Forestry Licensing Dashboard, which is issued by the forest section of the Department of Agriculture, Food and Marine on, on almost a weekly basis. So when, when you look at how it was, uh, how it is compared with other years, and, and we're still significantly behind the pace of, of issuing of licenses uh, for afforestation, for road building and felling. And I think at this stage, a huge priority for everybody in the sector is that we get more forestation done at this stage. Because if we don't plant now, we won't be able to harvest anything. And if we look at, for example, in the month of March or, or April this year, you know, the, the number of hectares for which licences were issued is 183 in 2022. And that compares with 627 hectares in 2021 and 566 in 2020. So we're significantly behind that area. Now, there was a reasonable number of licence and acreage uh, included in March. But in the year to date, we're significantly behind afforestation in the first four months of this year compared to the first four months of 2020 and 2021. And that's an alarming from everybody in the sector. Forestry owners here, they feel we are dogged by bureaucracy in other countries, other members of the European Union, nearby neighbours, in Scotland even, not even in the European Union at the moment. I understand if you want to thin your forest, a fairly straightforward uh, activity, if you want to thin your forestry enterprise, well then that requires, again, documentation, application to the correct authorities, etc. Well, we, we, John, we would feel that this is a crazy situation. I mean, essentially, if you give somebody, a farmer, a license to plant trees and a forestation license, logic would dictate that, that included in that is a license to carry out thinning because thinning is a management practice within the forest management. So it, it would be a logical thing that that's included. It is illogical to have to seek a license for thinning, which you could be denied and therefore renders the whole crop production process almost invalid because the trees will never meet, meet or reach their, their potential. Has the Minister... Pippa Hackett, has the Department of Agriculture or the ministers there, have they given any indication that they understand the situation? We should be able to at least clear the way once you're given a licence. Well, then it's understood that you'd be responsible enough to be able to thin properly. So looking to Scotland and uh, the minister's reaction to your concerns, any indication that at least thinning is going to be allowed without again paperwork, bureaucracy, applications and all this type of thing that puts people off forestry? Uh, that hasn't been terrified at, at this stage, John. And there is a forest policy group which has been sitting for a number of months and key issues like that have not been resolved. And at this stage, it's overdue that, that, that they're not resolved. So we'd like to see that situation improved. But the priority is that we, we 
remove or prevent or, or make sure that there are no barriers to afforestation. Because if we don't grow trees now, we will have no forest sector in 30, 40 years' time. And it makes a very important contribution to exports from this country. It also makes a very important contribution to employment. Uh, but we all understand that you know, we need to balance the issues of the right trees in the right place at the right time. We understand that. But, but afforestation and timber production is a crop and we need to identify that certain crops need certain criteria. It's part of an industrial process, but it also can be produced in an environmentally sensitive way. And I would say that most people involved in forestry have huge uh, empathy towards the, envir- the environmental side of, side of what they're doing. And it's really important. But it doesn't seem to be recognised as part and parcel of producing a timber crop. Ultimately, everybody wants to see more timber used in construction in all those areas. The sad reality or the basic reality is we cannot achieve that unless we cut the trees. There has been concern over the years about the planting of single species forestry. Now, there may be a good commercial reason because of they grow quickly, etc. But single species tree crops, I understand that your organisation would be in favour of a proper balance between deciduous, broadleaf, native trees and uh, conifers, the pine needle type of trees. Uh, well, you're sure. I mean, everybody's aware that we have to realise that, that that single species trees such as spruce, etc., are very fast growing and are the type of product that, that the construction sector, and we, we all want renewable products and sustainable products used in construction, that they are dominated by those kind of species. So there, there is a place for every one of those. There is a place for the right trees in the right place. But we need clarity on it and we don't need obstructions and we need a positive approach where all environmental concerns are included, but where the people involved in the industry have got a say, and we realise that this is the potential future for the country, for the environment, and for everybody who lives in it. Because forests can be enjoyed, but then we can enjoy them, and at the same time, they can be a productive resource. There are, in the European Union, a number of countries where the use of timber is far more predominant than here in our country for the construction of dwelling houses. Would you be in favour of promoting more use of timber in the construction of dwelling houses, more timber-built houses? Yeah, I suppose we start from the premise that, that we've only somewhere like 11% of the land area in Ireland is under timber or under forest, whereas we compare that with the European average, which is close to 30%. So we're well behind the curve in terms of that. And uh, yes, I suppose everybody in this sector would like to see a situation where timber could be used in a more sustainable way, and that would relate to the whole construction sector. But I mean, I need to emphasise the point. I think everybody wants to see more timber used. They understand the sustainability features of it. But the, the reality is, in order for it used, we must grow commercial trees, and a time comes when those trees must be cut. And that can be done with skilled machinery operators such as our FCI forestry contractors. They have unique skills. They have unique machine investment. They have shown the ability to do this. They work in sympathy with the environment. And it's very important that they're allowed to continue with that. I think in terms of forest owners, we don't aim to represent their interests as such. Our, Our representation is forestry contractors. So they are the people who invest in equipment, to plant trees, to, to construct roads, and to harvest the, the timber when it's at a mature age. So uh, they, they're the, the interest group that we work with 
rather than the forest growers. And there are a number of forest grower organisations uh, that individual farmers and, and those with forest areas can work with and will have a very good resource. Our dominant uh, work is with the people who have invested significant funding in machines to deliver efficient and sustainable systems of planting trees, of management of the forest and of harvesting trees when the time comes. Thank you very much indeed, Mr Michael Moroni, Chief Executive Officer, FCI, the Association of Farm and Forestry Contractors in Ireland. Thank you, Michael, very much indeed. Thanks a million. Thank you, John. You're very welcome. Joining us on the Dairy Gold Farm Talk programme, we have Mr Kevin Comiskey, the IFA Sheep Committee Chair. Welcome, Kevin, to the programme. Now, as regards the situation in the sheep sector, would you in general welcome the recent announcement of the silage fodder scheme? Indeed, John. Yes, look, at any funding has to be welcomed. Of course, we'd welcome it, um, while be it uh, a little bit smaller than we would have hoped for. Um, we do welcome us. It. It's, a, it's a step, a small step in the right direction, definitely. Uh, last year, we've seen a little bit of a bounce in the in the price of lamb, and I'd always say it was coming up to or getting close to where it should be, not just there at the time, but um, we're a very low-income sector, and then we've seen the, the input costs just rocketing the year. So, you know, while the, the price of lamb is even a little bit behind, a percentage behind on, on what it was last year. But as I said, the, with the meal, the fertiliser and uh, the, fee, the diesel, you know, the fuel as well gone up. It's, um, it's very difficult on, on sheep farms. And as I said, we're a very low income sector and, you know, we can't absorb this, this increase in costs at, at farm level. So that's why we, we went on. We made a, a detailed submission uh, based on the Chagas report and everything, we uh, put in a detailed submission uh, to the minister, wrote into him there about 10 days ago that, uh, requiring, uh, setting out what we wanted for the sheep sector regarding funding and indeed a few uh, things on tillage for the feeding the store lambs and different things as well. And he has come back with this to us uh, yesterday there. So it's, uh, it is welcome, but um, when you take it, Put it in perspective, John, you have, it's 100 euros per hectare. If you're cutting for hay or silage, you're going to be spreading roughly seven, seven and a half bags, maybe eight bags per hectare. So it's only supplying, uh, given a price of two bags. So, you know, there's still a substantial uh, amount of money have to be invested there for hay and silage. Asset housing, the situation, an outlook report by Chogisk. You say that clearly identifies the seriousness of the situation. The average income on sheep farms in 2022 is forecast to reduce by 20%, and that's based on an increased production cost of 30%. So you have a massive comparison there. Income down by 20%, production costs up by 30%. That's right. It's a huge comparison, and... Um that's why we, we need support. We need direct intervention support. Um, our campaign there, as always, was for the €30 Euro in the CAP project team and, um, you know, in the CAP project for 2023. And that's we're still fighting that. And even more so than ever now, um, that €30 Euros per year is also needed. But we need a direct payment for the sheep sector uh, going forward as well to, to help us out along with this uh, payment per hectare we need uh, substantial funding for it because, as I say, it's a very low-income sector and we can't absorb the cost at the minute and, and 
the price of spring dam. And when you go price in the spring dam at the minute, it's it's behind on what it was last year, and the price of meal is, is uh, just gone. It, like even farmers creep feeding lambs, and they're testing that for the sheep welfare scheme and that. And Minna's telling me at the minute they're just uh, they're not able to afford it, and they, they just can't afford it. You've recently highlighted problems with the store lamb trade, particularly hill sheep farmers. In regard to that, what would the specific problems be with the, the store lamb trade for later on this year? We, we thought and sat down and looked at this and what we see coming for the store lamb trade is because of the incentives there to produce extra grain and different things, it's going to leave with extra uh, grassland going into tillage it's going to leave people that was originally or used to buy uh, store lambs and finish them on that grassland. That grassland has gone into tillage now, so the availability for that land to finish store lambs and the extra grass, um, people that have extra grass they might let it grow, they might bail it up and have silage and a pay and uh, be forward sell it and selling it on. So it might be a more profitable uh, option than taking in store lambs. So what we have suggested to the Minister is when the first uh, grain crops would be caught in July or August, that there'd be an incentive there per hectare payment to incentivize those farmers to uh, replow that land and put in different crops that could go forward to the feeding and the finishing of store lambs, such as maybe typhon, turnips, uh, kale, whatever suits um, that it could go in there and that they'd be able to buy in store lambs or lease out that uh, land if it was sold with, with these crops to finish the store lambs and uh, it'll be badly needed that I think it'll, uh, I'd have serious concerns for the store lamb going forward and you know we have to maintain uh, a supply of lamb for the food sector and that's what it's all about is the production of food and everything and food security so I think that's vitally important to the sector also. Will you be able to capitalise on the recent announcement that the USA market is now open to sheep meat from Ireland? Is that something that, you know, will put money in farmers' pockets or are they a bit, you know, concerned and wary that you have these huge um, hyped-up announcements of international visits by ministers, but yet until it ends up uh, money in the farmers' pockets, it's all something that doesn't really influence the price you get for your sheep? Ah, indeed, yes, and look at any market, and we always welcome the morning of the fund, and we welcome the opening up of any market, and, you know, factories has to be uh, approved for this, yes, and we had a meeting there recently with MII, and and we spoke about factories has to get approval on that. Um, Yes, it has to to relate back into money into the farmer's pocket, because if it doesn't, you know, it's it's really pie in the sky, so... Um, as I said, it's, it's, it's welcome to see these uh, announcements and that, but um, it has to return back a, a fair price on the market for the, for the farmer and for the lamb trade. Would our sheep be regarded as healthy animals because at one point scrapey was a problem and people were worried about diseases of various types? But in general, has there been an increase in the quality and health of uh, sheep being produced in Ireland as opposed to, say, five, six years ago? Indeed it is. It's always, it's always increasing and sure farmers maintain a, a very high standard and it's, it's a world-class product that we're producing and we had recently uh, got uh, 
you know, the, we had a re- meeting recently with the department and scrapey things and that is down at a zero for the last number of years and hopefully it will maintain that way and that's why we'd be gaining access to the likes of these markets. But um, again, we, we have very high standards out there of the quality of lamb that's been produced on Irish farms. Would you find that there's any kind of competition from other lamb which might get in here and uh, compete very unfavourably imported lamb being used to bring down the price of uh, local sheep being produced by Irish uh, flock owners. The question of imports of lamb. Look, we had, and uh, indeed I myself uh, and the IFA committee uh, monitored and recorded uh, the imports of carcass lambs there back 12 months ago, and we do follow up and are following up with the department and board BIA as to regards of the labelling and all this going out. While we can't uh, stop these markets coming in or the import of lamb, uh, it's up to the department and indeed Borbia to monitor this and the labelling to ensure that, you know, while it will be going to some of the EU markets that is not labelled as Irish lamb or whatever. And that's what we're in constant touch with the department and uh, Borbia on these, these issues. All of the details in your submission, they're aimed at enabling your members of the IFA Sheep Committee, enabling them to produce a year-round supply of sheep meat for key customers. It is necessary to recognise that even though costs are going up by 30%, the price you get will be down by 20 So, in general, you've got to be very, very vigilant indeed. Indeed, we have to be very vigilant. And yes, the Minister has taken a step in the right direction and hopefully it'll be one of many. Thank you very much indeed, Mr Kevin Comiskey, IFA Sheep Committee Chair. Thank you very much indeed, Kevin. And that's Farm Talk. I'm John O'Connor. Thanks to Barry O'Mahony and Marie Tuig for contributing to the programme again this week. A very special thank you to you, the listener, for tuning in. Want flexibility? Take yoga. Want flexibility with your health insurance? Check out United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget friendly medical, dental, and vision coverage that may be right for you. More at uh1.com. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff shirts and polos, activewear, and fine leather goods all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade.